welcome to the MIT Press podcast. Today, I'm going to be having a conversation with Mark Balaguer, who is professor in the Department of Philosophy at California State University. He is the author of Platonism and Antiplatonism in Mathematics, Free Will as an Open Scientific Question, and the Free Will EKS Essential Knowledge Series book. Welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Yeah, just been at the Google headquarters doing a talk, uh, which I think went quite well. I think so too, it was fun. Yeah. I thought we could talk a little bit about the essential knowledge book, Free Will, that is a kind of quite concise, accessible book on what is quite a large field of inquiry and, you know, there's a lot of questions that come with it in a lot of different fields of study. Uh, so it'd be really great if you could maybe explain to me and people listening what you're referring to in your research when you talk about free will, specifically what, what, what that term encompasses for you in your research. So free will is a term that gets used to mean a lot of different things. And in particular in philosophy, it gets used to mean two different things, really. One of them is to pick out a kind of free will that's compatible with determinism. So it's compatible with our decisions being completely caused by prior events. And sometimes it's used to pick out a kind of free will that's incompatible with determinism. So it's for the second kind of freedom, in order for our decisions to be free, they have to be undetermined in some way, not causally necessitated by the past. And in philosophy, there's a big question about what free will is. And a lot of philosophical work on the question of free will is dedicated to the question of what free will is, whether it's compatible with determinism or not. And in my work, I, I think that that question is not as important as most philosophers do. And I think it really boils down to, rather than arguing what is free will really, I think a more helpful approach is to just define two different terms and talk about compatibilist freedom and incompatibilist freedom. And then we can ask questions about both of them. And insofar as we're talking about compatibilist freedom, it usually means something like being able to do what you want, something roughly like that, being able to act on your desires. And it's pretty obvious that we do have that kind of free will. And so I find that kind of free will less interesting. Kind of free will that seems more interesting to me is the kind of free will that's not compatible with determinism and requires indeterminism. In connection with that kind of free will, call it indeterministic free will, the question of whether we have it is much more controversial, and a lot of scientists and philosophers think we don't. And my book is about the question of whether we have that kind of free will. And in particular, I go through some philosophical arguments and some scientific arguments for thinking that we don't have it, and I try to respond to those arguments. So the first initial argument that you might think is a good argument against that kind of free will is just that we have good reason to think that determinism is true. And so because of that, we don't have this kind of free will. And determinism is just the view that like the laws of nature always necessitate the next event. So there's once a, an event occurs, it's determined what's gonna happen next. So if you hit the white ball with a certain velocity and spin at the eight ball, it follows for, of necessity what's gonna happen to the eight ball. And if that view is right, then it seems like, well, then all of our decisions are causally determined by prior stuff. And so it's not really us that's doing it. And we don't have that kind of freedom. The problem with that argument is that it basically just assumes that determinism is true. And we've learned in 20th century physics, in particular quantum mechanics, that we don't really have any good reason to believe that determinism is true. And it might not be true. It's an open question. And so that old argument against free will doesn't work, but then there are these new arguments, 
one of them goes like this. Look, either your decisions, it doesn't matter if they're determined because either they're caused or they're not caused. And if they're caused by past stuff, then they're not free for that reason because they're determined by past stuff. And if they're not caused, then it seems like they're just random. And if they're just random, that doesn't seem any more compatible with free will. If they just like happen, like decisions pop into my head and it's not really me doing it, that doesn't seem compatible with free will either. And so the argument is our decisions are either caused or not caused. And if they're caused, they're determined and so they're not free. And if they're uncaused, then they're random and so they're not free. So that's a philosophical argument against free will. And then there's also a scientific argument that goes like this. Look, yeah, maybe quantum mechanics shows that some quantum events are undetermined, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is whether our decisions are determined. And um, there's good evidence, so the argument goes, in psychology and neuroscience for thinking that our decisions are determined, right? So in psychology, we get these arguments for thinking that lots of what we do is caused by unconscious stuff that we don't really have any awareness of and we don't have any access to, and it's nevertheless causing our actions. And in neuroscience, there have been these studies that neuroscientists claim show that they, they found brain activity prior to choice that's like the brain activity that's unconscious and prior to conscious choice that's actually causing our conscious decisions and action, and our consciousness is just sort of like along for the ride. And so our conscious choices aren't really determining what we do. They're not like driving the ship, so to speak. And so I don't think those arguments work. And in my book, what I do is in responding to the philosophical argument, I argue that the question is in fact a scientific question. And so we should be looking at neuroscientific evidence, but that the evidence that psychologists and neuroscientists have found, it doesn't give us reason to believe that we don't have free will. And so what I try to argue in the book is that it's a scientific question, but it's an open question. And the evidence that scientists have said, oh, this shows we don't have free will, it doesn't really work. And really we should be thinking, this is an open question for future research in neuroscience. Yeah, what I found really interesting in your talk was the way you kind of addressed both materialist and spiritualist, you know, set of questions and in an interesting way, a lot of the kind of answers provided or the kind of preliminary answers provided, there's still quite a distance to go to even be able to answer both of them, in a sense, the way in which, you know, you can trace these kind of decisions back to a particular source. But then, you know, what is that source that comes before that and all this kind of thing? And I was wondering if maybe you could kind of expand on those different kind of attitudes and how you kind of worked on those in the books, the kind of materialist and then the more spiritual aspect. Yeah. So, right. So there's these two different views you might have of human beings. One is that the spiritual view that we've got some kind of non-physical soul. So we've all got a physical body, but then in addition to that, we've got this non-physical soul that like drives the body and it's the soul is in charge. And then when you die, the soul survives. And then there's the materialist view that now we, all there is to us is our bodies and all of our our whole mental life, our beliefs and desires and hopes and fears, that it all just comes from neural processes. And so it's a really sort of strong pull to the idea that the question of whether we have free will is deeply related to the question of whether we have non-physical souls or not. Like, and so a way to think about that is, I think a knee-jerk thought people have is like, look, if you think you're just a physical machine, then it's no wonder that you, you're gonna come to think that like we don't have free will because machines don't have free will. But if you believe in a soul, then you can get around these arguments. But one of the things I do in the book, I try to explain why the arguments against free will actually don't assume materialism and they work 
equally well against immaterialist views. And so you can't respond to them just by appealing to the soul. Now, that's not to say that you can't believe in free will if you have a religious, spiritual view of humans. It's just that you can't get around the arguments just by claiming that. And we need, my view is that the way in which I get around the arguments gives us a way of responding regardless of whether we endorse a materialist view or a religious view or a spiritual view. And it's kind of nice to have a response for a materialist view because the scientists giving the arguments are materialists. And so it's like, meet them on their own ground and show that the arguments don't work, even if you're a materialist. But then at the end of the day, I think like somebody who has a spiritual view can take what I said and just tweak it a little bit and they'll get responses of their own. Mm. But they, what they won't be able to do is respond just by saying, oh, but I believe in souls. Yeah. So what uh, would be an example of the kind of, uh, maybe you could talk about one of the examples of a kind of materialist evidence for there being no free will that you can navigate and take part in the book. You know, when yeah. you talk about the kind of cinema example and that kind of thing, maybe you could talk about that a little bit as well. I mean, look, there's a lot of studies in psychology that show that we don't have free will because a lot of what we do is determined by unconscious stuff that's going on and we have no idea that it's going on. So for example, there's this thing that we've known about for a long time. So here's an example of it. Let's say you own a cinema and you're showing previews of coming attractions and the people are sitting there and the movie hasn't started yet and they're watching this and you splice a single frame of a bag of popcorn into the film. And it goes by so fast that nobody is consciously aware that they saw a bag of popcorn. But if you run this to an auditorium full of people, the probability that people will get up and go buy popcorn is, is increased and more people will go buy popcorn than in the theater next door where they didn't see the bag of popcorn. And like when you hear this, you're like, oh, that's like kind of depressing fact about humans that like we can be like so easily manipulated. But it also undermines the idea that we have free will because it's like you don't even know what's causing you to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, a materialist and a spiritualist can say the same thing to this, which is just that, look, what these studies show is that some of what we do is causally determined by unconscious things in our heads that we're not aware of. But there's no evidence for the claim that every time we make a decision that feels free to us, the decision is caused by unconscious phenomena, unconscious mental states and events in our brains. There's just no evidence of that. And so I, like, I think the psychology arguments are the easiest ones to respond to, and that's the response. There's, there's no evidence for the claim that we're always, all of our decisions are caused in that way. And I think the materialists and the spiritualists can just say the same thing to that. Mm. Yeah, I was interested in what you said about the idea that free will sort of exists, but it's, it's just slightly more fleeting and uncommon than uh, perhaps we would we'd quite like uh, to think it is. And uh, I think the longer the talk went on earlier today, you could tell people getting slightly more kind of edgy and a little bit kind of worried about the kind of implications of what it would mean not to have any free will and how kind of daunting that is and you know it'd be great to you talk a little bit about why it is important to interrogate a question that can actually be a little bit existentially filled with dread yeah i mean so yeah the idea that we don't have free will is like can fill you with existential dread I don't think a good response to that is to like, you know, an ostrich response where you just like bury your head in the sand and don't think about it, right? So it's much better to like tackle it and try to answer the question. Why it's important, I really think like 
I mean, that's in a way, it's kind of like, why is the question of free will interesting? Different people are interested in different things. And so, you know, if you get 10 people that work on free will from different disciplines and philosophy and neuroscience and psychology and ask, why is this question interesting and important? I think you'll get like 10 different answers. And even within, I know this from, I'm a philosopher and I know a lot of philosophers who work on free will. And if you ask 10 philosophers this question, you're going to get 10 different answers. And, you know, a lot of philosophers are going to say, look, this is crucially important to our view of ourselves as like creatures with some kind of dignity and like being more than just brute machines. And it's crucial to our, our legal system. Like the idea that criminals deserve to be punished relies on the idea that like this person did this wrong thing of his or her own free will. And if they don't have free will, then there's something profoundly unfair about incarcerating people that broke the law because they had no free will. And all that stuff is right, but I also feel like, for me, it's a more immediate interest and concern. Like, I just don't want it to be the case that I don't have free will. Like, yeah, it's important for other things, but I just feel like free will is like a good in itself, intrinsically good. And the idea that if we don't have free will, that strikes me as just like intrinsically bad. And so I'm interested in the question for that reason. And I don't want to, I want to know whether I have free will. And I feel like I don't know. And I feel like no one knows and it's an open question. But for me, that's the central pull is that I just find it like inherently interesting. And there's something about being free as opposed to unfree that just strikes me as just like, it's just better. Bottom line, better. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming and talking to me and speaking again soon, hopefully. And uh, you can get Free Will on the MIT Press website and all good bookshops. So. The book Free Will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't no, get free yeah. Will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly not. Yeah. All right. Thanks.